And we're going to be joined by Albert Breer, who, of course, covers the NFL for Sports Illustrated. Albert, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dettino and John Schmelke are in various parts of the tri-state area. Hope you and your family are, are doing well and are safe in these very odd times. Yeah, definitely weird times. I hope you guys are you guys are good and safe, too. Yes, we are, Albert, and, and thanks a lot for the time. Uh, we have a lot to get to, but I want to start with the Sky Judge because you did a very lengthy article on it um, a couple days ago, which I thought was, was very, very helpful. Can you explain to fans out there exactly what the league approved in regards to the quote-unquote Sky Judge yesterday and exactly how you think that is going to proceed and how the idea kind of got to where it is? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a long story, but I, I think you know, really um, the impetus of this was twofold. Number one, it was um, you know the Saints-Rams game, the result of that, and the NFC title game in January of 2019. And then almost right away after that, how the AAF, um, you know, which obviously is now defunct, uh, was able to effectively institute you know an official up top. And you know, I think you know the coaches gathered and um, really kind of organized on this. John Harbaugh was you know I, um, assigned by the subcommittee to, to run point on it. Um, and the idea was, uh, I think the, the guiding principle was that it's just insane that, you know, all of us sitting at home on our couches have the benefit of 8, 10, 12 different angles of crystal clear HD television to watch everything, slowed up, sped, uh, slowed, up, slowed down, sped up, all that. And the guys who are fishing in the game don't have that. And so, you know, really the goal of the, the coaching subcommittee was to find a way to amend that. Um, the coaches actually wrote a uh, SkyJet proposal in 2019, voted it through 32 to nothing. Um, the owners weren't ready to go there yet. That's where the past interference um, review became a compromise. You know, and then after you know things went wrong with past interference, and they really over the last few months had to take had to bring it back from the dead. You know, and so there's a lot of compromising that went into this. Um, you know, but they, they, they're they're taking what they think is a very meaningful first step. Um, they never, you know, wanted this guy to be in a position to overrule the referee or stop the game or any of that. Uh, they just wanted to find a way to make sure that they could, um, you know, have um, the extra resource, the extra technological resource for the referee so uh, more of these obvious things get caught. And, um, you know, what they're going to have now with the replay official having added a, an added ability to communicate with the referees in the field is a, a meaningful first step. And, if it works in preseason, um, you know, we'll see it in the regular season. And if it works in the regular season, then I would expect it will be more formalized in 2021. Albert, there are two questions that I have about this whole thing. And that is, if there's an egregious mistake that we can all see, is it still incumbent upon the head referee on the field to buzz upstairs to converse with that replay official and, and then have yeah. that kind of conversation or from what I understand, if I got this right, the replay guy upstairs, he cannot buzz downstairs. It's incumbent upon the guy on the field to initiate yep. that convo. That's number one. And then number two, kind of a part B to this whole thing, the CFL has been using a sky judge for a few years. It wasn't just that the Alliance used it when they experimented uh, a year ago. Uh, they've already had this now for several years. I wonder why I haven't seen more... Uh, communication or heard of 
communication between the NFL and the Canadian folks to say, listen, you've had it for a few years. You worked out the bugs. You got all the wrinkles flattened out. Why don't we just take what you guys are doing? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't know the answer on the, on, the, on the second question, whether or not they haven't you know, instituted the CFL way of doing it. Um, I, I do know that they've sort of looked at the way different leagues have done it. I'm sure they've done a lot of you know, work in looking into what the CFL has done. Um, on your first question, the answer is that there will be a window. Um, and the way the coaches wrote it, uh, the expectation is there will be a window where the replay official can call down. And it's going to be the first 15 seconds of the play clock. And, you know, really what that ensures um, is that this won't be, you know, okay, the guy's sitting up there analyzing, analyzing, you know, the broadcast for 25 seconds and then buzzes down. It's going to be, it has to be clear and obvious. It has to be black and white. And if it's black and white, it'll show up right away. And the guy will be able to buzz down. Um, you know, like in, in the, the, the Saints Rams example, uh, he certainly would have been able to get down to the, the head referee fast enough. And so, you know, this is a pace of game thing that they want to limit the communication to some degree. Uh, but above anything else, like the idea is really to kind of give the give the head referee that resource, which, I mean, sort of off the books has already been happening anyway. Albert, how much does this impact the role of New York in terms of this whole process? And, you know, the other aspect of all of this is, you know, you mentioned the gray area versus the black and white area. How much perhaps the implementation of the sky judge is to maybe give coaches not a reason to challenge as much as perhaps we've seen in previous seasons? Yeah. um, Well, I mean, like the first question, I don't think New York – I think it sort of like kind of keeps New York out of it a little bit more. Um, you know, and I, I think one of the things that's important here is that they, the coaches really did want a, an eighth official hired, and they didn't want to make that person a part of the crew. And the trust and communication was such a big part of it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think any officiating crew wanted to listen to, you know, like to New York constantly about what was going on in their in their game, like, you know, and I think it's, you know, it's kind of different context of the person who is buzzing down to you is upstairs, you know, and, and in the stadium and part of your crew. And there's a level of communication and trust that develops between people. And so, you know, I think that part of it's really important. What was your second question again? The second question was in reference to how this may impact the urgency of coaches to use challenges, yeah, given the fact I, that there's now an extra individual in the mix. Yeah. And that part of it, I think is good too, because, I, I like look like I think it's certainly possible. I, you know, it could be clunky at first, and they'll have to work through it. But I, you know, I think if they're, I think it should take the black and white ones out out of the, out of play. You know what I mean? Like where, and again, this isn't going to involve penalties right away, and so they still got some work to do on some of that stuff. But um, you know, if it's black and white, the guy will call down, and you know, the guy will say no. You know, like we like, like this is obvious. There's no need to go through a challenge process. Um, you know, call it this way, call it that way, whatever the case may be. And, you know, that actually should help pace of play. Um, if you if you really want to look at, you know, uh, like what's slowing games down, you know, a lot of times it's the obvious challenges. And, uh, you know, I think what this, what this would eliminate is the overly obvious ones where you have the refs walking over to the machine, going under the hood, staying under the hood for however long, 
and then coming back just to tell us what we already know. You know, I think eliminating that part of it is, you know, an important piece of this. And, you know, again, like I think could be one way in which, you know, the, 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 the pace of play issue actually, you know, this becomes a benefit in that end. Now, Albert, just to confirm, this is just traditionally reviewable plays, right? Fumble interception, out of bounds, things yeah. like that. So, do you yeah, it's think... not penalty yet, but I think it will be eventually. Well, that was going to be my question. How much do you think this can grow where, you know, you have a quote-unquote flag being thrown from the booth for something that is, a, to your point, egregious and oh, clear? I don't, I don't think the idea was ever to give the booth, the, the, the booth on fire to the sky just really want to call him. I don't think the idea was ever to give him the ability to throw a fly. Um, I, I, you know, I just, I, I understand maybe that worked that way in the AAF. I, like, I, I don't think it was ever the coach's intention to do that. The coach's intention here was to, again, have that guy upstairs be a resource. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I think this certainly could expand to kind of encompass everything. Um, the guy up there, like, it could be available to help the referee mm-hmm. on everything. And, you know, I don't know what sort of oversight there's going to be, so it certainly is possible that the guy is helping him on things that, you know, kind of, again, off the books that he needs help on. Um, you know, I, 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 but I don't think this is ever about, like, putting somebody up there who could throw flags. Uh, you know, ultimately, the, the coach's plan had always incorporated the head referee being in charge. And this guy being part of the crew and reporting to the head referee. And, again, so much of that is about having that level of trust and communication. You know, if you have that, well, then it's a lot easier for the guy to buzz down and say, hey, you got this wrong, pick that up. You know, or, hey, you got this wrong, throw the flag. Um, You know, it's just, I mean, to me, it's, you know, again, it's not about the 55-45 calls. It's about the calls that have, you know, when these guys on Sports Center on Monday morning? That's what they're trying to avoid. <laughs> so, just I want to follow up very quickly. Do you think at some point, Albert, they might readdress the pass interference issue? Look, we all know how poorly it went last year. No one's gonna, no one's gonna have that debate. Do you think down the line, maybe addressing well, pass interference is reviewable at some point? Might get back into the mix in some way, shape, or form. I honestly think the, the, the pass interference thing became political, and that was part of the problem. Um, and that's part of what the NFL had to work through. Um, you know, between the coaches and the officials, the coaches organized, and the coaches really fought back on it. And I think, to some degree, the referees felt like they were sort of, I don't know, the fingers pointed towards, pointed at them in 2019. And, um, you know, I think that that led to the way the thing was officiated, to be honest with you. I think the fact that the officials were so resident, resident to, to overturn anything, um, you know, in the area of pass interference, I think told you how they felt about that rule going in and that they weren't really, um, I don't think the field officials really felt like they were considered in that process. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I think in this case, the fact that the coaches have worked so hard to, like, incorporate the officials this time around, work with Walt Anderson on it, um, you know, work with Perry Fuel, who's going to be a liaison on it. Like I think working with the people that they worked with to try to get this thing done, um, you know, I think certainly creates a different context because you, you're, it's not officials versus coaches anymore. It's coaches working with officials to improve mm. the game. And, I mean, look, like here's the thing, guys. Right, so these guys are graded every week, right? The officials are graded every week. If I told you... I can give you the answers to some of the tests 
that were going to go into your grade, would you take them? Of course. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like, it's like if, if, if a guy upstairs is giving me the benefit of the broadcast, um, you know, and is able to kind of, and look, the game moves so fast, it's obvious that you're going to miss some stuff. Um, you know, so like if, if, if a guy, if a guy upstairs, you know, is, is giving me the benefit of, of not missing, a, you know, an obvious call every two or three weeks, uh, then that's going to mean that week I'm, you know, and I don't know how the, how the grading scale works exactly, but that, that means I'm going to get a B plus for that week instead of a C plus. I'm going to take that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Albert, so, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. That, that's the idea, though. It's just it's a resource. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's giving the officials something that's going to make them better. And giving them the giving them something that's going to make them better without really intruding in the way they Albert, to pull back the microscope a little bit, and I know I'm hitting the fast-forward button when I ask you this, and the XFL is a dirty word in NFL circles. I get that. But I think one of the things that, that – the XFL did this past year to kind of alleviate fans' frustrations with calls and replay in particular was the fact that they allowed that communication that was happening between the officials to be broadcast over the television. Now, I can't imagine that the NFL is going to do anything that the XFL did, especially in such short notice, uh, considering that there's not a lot of love between the leagues. But do you think there's ever a chance that that could be something that the NFL folks would talk about down the line since it did seem to be an effective thing at reducing fans' frustrations? I think the business people wouldn't mind it, but I definitely think the football people wouldn't want it. And so, I don't know. I don't know, Paul. I mean, I think, it's just, I think that's a hard thing because that's one of those things that has to be bartered. And, um, you know, we've seen – the way that, you know, football people in general are limited access and how hard, you know, people on the business side, you know, people on the entertainment side have had to fight to get access to certain things. Hard knocks being a perfect example of it. How many teams don't want to do, do mm-hmm. hard knocks? And so, like, I, I just think that's one of those things where I'm sure there are some people at the league office who would do that tomorrow if there weren't people that would stand in the way. But I just think right now, um, there are too many football, football people who stand in the way, and there are a lot of trust in those conversations too between officials, between officials and coaches. Um, there's a certain rapport that all those guys have, even if it does look like they may hate each other at times. There's a certain rapport <laughs> those guys have, and a lot of that is based on the fact that they're saying things that can't be repeated anywhere else. Sure. Albert, another piece of the equation yesterday, in addition to the conversation regarding the Sky Judge, was, of course, the fact that the owners decided to table the alternative to the onside kick. So the 4th and 15th play has not been adopted. And all of the talk has been about the pros and cons of the 4th and 15th aspect. I'm curious, Albert, and I've thrown this out a lot on various shows, what has been the conversation at all about maybe – tweaking the onside kick itself and looking at that play and finding ways to get it to a higher conversion rate as opposed to continually emphasizing another option to that play? I don't know. I, you know, I, I would say this. I, I think most of the coaches I talk to believe that should be hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that should not be an easy play to pull off. Um, you know, because basically what you're doing, and cheating is the wrong word, but you are cheating the system to a degree, right? 
But there's a reason why the other team's up the way that they're up. And I understand the entertainment value of having a team come back from a big deficit and everything else. But, um, you know, I, I think most coaches would tell you that, you know, if you kick another team's ass for, you know, 53, 54 minutes, uh, like why should the league be creating avenues for you to, you know, to, to, to lose what you earned over the first 53 minutes or 54 minutes of the game. And so, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, like I, I think the NFL was trying to find a way and the Eagles obviously were a part of this, like trying to find a way where they could take a, was a difficult play to pull off in the onside kick and create another difficult play to pull off, which is a fourth and 15. Um, and make it more entertaining. At the root of it, I think that, that that's a big part of what this was. It wasn't so much, let's make it more makeable, um, although I think that was definitely there. It was, how do we sort of add entertainment value to this? And, and look, like I, you know, the NFL's always done a really good job of, of being proactive and, and, and not being, um, you know, not being, uh, you know, against uh, change, but this, felt to me, and I know it felt to a lot of owners, like this is a little out of left field and going a little far. And, um, you know, certainly I think part of the reason why um, they were so far off from um, I mean, a full eight, eight votes short off of, uh, of getting this thing through yesterday was because the football people weren't in the room. And so I think without having that discussion with the general managers and the head coaches as part of it, uh, made it difficult for some of the owners to wrap their wrap their arms around it. You know, honestly, Albert, I was surprised it was sixteen sixteen. You know, I feel like a lot of times, you know, the people at the top of the ladder are very resistant to change. It was a better result than you know, as you pointed out in one of your tweets yesterday, than when they discussed the proposal a year prior. Is this something yep. that you think might pick up more steam as they bring in the coaches and get their opinion? Yeah. Or, or do you think this is something that that is dead on the table? No, I mean, I don't think it's dead. I, I like, but I, I, I do think that I would say this, like, you know, I, I mentioned how bringing coaches in can help with these sorts of things. I don't think everybody's for it either, you know, and I think there are some people, um, you know, that probably look at this and say it's bastardizing something that's, you know, a very root part of the game. Like, it's not, this isn't adjusting anything. This is like, eliminating something that's been part of football or working to eliminate something that's been part of football for a long, long time. And so I, uh, you know, I, 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 like, I just, I wonder which way that discussion would go, you know, with a realistic chance that something like this passes. I wonder how that discussion would go in the room with the body of coaches and the body of general managers. Uh, because I do think, uh, I mean, you know, a great example is like how, you know, Belichick was a purist. Like, he was one of the people that wanted to make uh, the extra point a more competitive play, right? Like, so you, you back that kick up a little bit. Um, that's tweaking it, but that's leaving the essence of the rule in. How would somebody like, like Belichick feel about, you know, uh, removing or working to remove the onside kick from the game? I'd be interested to hear his opinion. Yeah. And I'm not so sure that it would be necessarily in favor of it. Final question for me, Albert. Uh, one of the other things that went through was the expansion of IR to allow three players to be designated for return during the season. Uh, how much of that do you think went into effect because that the coaches and the owners and the GMs understand that without the spring camps and maybe a very limited training camp, that there's a great deal of more potential for injuries this season? 
I think part of it was just the way the wind's blowing, to be honest. Like, I just think okay. this was, I mean, like, I, I honestly think, think like, that, that they went to one, one works, they went to two, two works. And I, and I do think that there's part of, like, part of the thought process here is, is expanding this. Like, they, like, football doesn't have a 30-day DL or a 60-day DL the way that baseball does, right? So like, this is finding a way to make it easier for play, for teams to manage their rosters as players get injured. So I think it's I think it's about more than this year. I'm not saying it's not possible that maybe it was pushed through this year because of the circumstance that we're all that, that we're all in right now. That's certainly possible. And what'll be really fascinating to see going forward is whether or not there's some special exempt list for guys who test positive for COVID when we get to the fall. Because I'm telling you, I mean, practice squads are never going to be or have never been more important. Like, yeah, like there's, I mean, the, the bottom of the roster means more than it ever has before. Uh, and that, and I'm saying that not knowing if we'll have a single positive test. I mean, I assume we'll have some, but um, you know, I do know that teams are going to have to take those parts of the roster way more more seriously um, than they have, and they already take those parts of the roster seriously because you know if there's now, certain circumstances come up, certain hypotheticals play out. Um, now, there's no question that you could be calling on guys that you wouldn't otherwise be calling on. We're talking with Albert Breer, senior NFL reporter for Sports Illustrated, Monday morning quarterback. And Albert, before we let you go, related to that topic, it actually seems as if the new CBA is pretty accommodating to your point, especially with the expansion of the active game day rosters and some flexibility in terms of bringing guys up from the practice squad. The other thing that I was reading with respect to expansion of IR flexibility, Albert, and I'm curious your thoughts, is about maybe giving teams an opportunity to put players on IR before before yeah. the actual roster is finalized, right after cutdown day, and yeah. it had some fuel but did not have enough to pass through. What have you been hearing on that front, and whether or not yeah. you know that would pretty much really open Pandora's box across the NFL? Yeah, I, I think that well, that got sent back to the management council. So I mean, there's some I think there's some salary cap ramifications and that sort of stuff with that. I, to me, like that's a pretty common sense thing. Um, you know, where, you know, you really, like last year, for example, like the, the Bills had to cut um, Kirk Coleman and the Browns had to cut Greg Robinson and, you know, let those guys clear waivers so they could come back and sign them again because they needed to carry another guy through to the 53 so they could designate that guy for a turn. And I'm probably, you know, people listen to me say that, their eyes are probably glazing over, but I mean, there's certainly <laughs> I like it. Like it just it felt like that was that 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 felt really like clunky and silly to me last year, where teams are having to cut players and expose players to the market just to get another one through. And so I think eventually that adjustment will be made. It's a matter of when. It's obviously a new thing because the for return hasn't existed for that long. Maybe one of these unintended consequences of the way the rule was written. Um, you know, but it'll be interesting to see. If, you know, we, we hear in a few weeks the management council wants they like it, and maybe it does wind up going through before we get to August. Our final question, just in terms of the league returning this year, and this is way long in the future. You might not even have a feel for this, but it's a question I've been thinking about, and I, heard, I haven't heard many people talk about it. When the league tries to play this year, uh, 
let's say in theory, one team has more than one positive test, multiple positive tests, right? On a Saturday yeah. night before Sunday game. How flexible is the league going to be here? Where if one team maybe can't play one week at the end of the year, if a couple teams, a handful of teams don't get a full 16 games in, but the rest of the league does, are they willing to be that flexible in how they handle the season? Because as we all know, this is really an unprecedented deal. And I think the more flexibility they're willing to have, the better chance we have of really getting as full of a season as possible. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know. Absolutely. Albert, we really appreciate all the time today. Awesome stuff. We love your reporting. Thank you so much for the time. We look forward to seeing you uh, continue to try to figure out exactly what's going to happen this year because we're all kind of waiting with bated breath, hoping we have a season. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.